hello, 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 and welcome to Canadian Made. I am recording this intro whilst I'm a little bit under the weather, so you may notice a distinct difference in my voice now than in the podcast episode, but the show must go on. So if you are in the Canadian entertainment industry, aspiring to be in the industry, or just a lover of Canadian content, this is the podcast for you. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Assis Sethi, who is a writer, director, producer with Flyaway Films. You may know her from her critically acclaimed short film, A Bloody Mess. She was also featured as one of Playback Magazine's 10 to Watch in 2020. And there's really no question why she has such a unique and interesting perspective on filmmaking. And in this episode, we talk about her new and upcoming short film called Rock the Cradle. And she talks us through the whole process of productions and some of the challenges that she faced and some of the challenges she's anticipating facing moving forward. So without further ado, I think you're really going to enjoy getting to know Assis in this episode with a healthier sounding version of myself. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. So I have a couple questions kind of about, uh, you know, your whole journey in the industry. I obviously want to talk to you about uh, Rock the Cradle as well. So um, and the kind of inception and the production of all that. So we can get into it. <laughs> awesome. My filmmaking journey started at um, Humber College. I, t- I went to film school there where now I teach directing. Um, and then I, when I was at Humber College, I used to do a lot of PAing on sets, mostly Hollywood films that would be shot here. And then I realized I'm not grow- growing. Like I'm, I'm, I was a PA a year ago, two years ago, and every time, and it's the same production is calling me back, and I'm like, can I try something else? I know more, but then it never, nothing really happened, and then it, um, I got this rare opportunity from um, Omni Television to be a reporter and I had volunteered for Rogers um, for like three or four weeks at the time and I'm like reporter I I have never been in front of the camera I don't know if I can do this so like but uh, do you have a position as a camera operator silly me you know I'm like oh I don't want this I want that I'm like and then I realized later I'm like oh shit what did I do but you know when you're in school you make these silly mistakes and you don't realize them and then someone told me you you know take that job and you will never regret it. Uh, so I took the job and it was one of the best decisions I had made because if it wasn't for me um, taking that job, I would have never received other opportunities that I did because of that job. So I started working at Omni. I worked there for 12 to 15 years in and out. From there, I ended up becoming the host and then producing shows. And then I got opportunities through the Rogers Documentary Fund to make a documentary on nine, uh, post 9-11 uh, um, effects on turban wearers in North America. And that did really well on TV. And then I got another opportunity to make a 16 episode um, doc series for television for them. Uh, so if I hadn't started there, I would have never ended up where I am. I always knew I wanted to be in 
the fiction side of things. I love scripted. I love uh, unscripted as well, don't get me wrong, but um, scripted is where my heart is at. And I have so many stories to tell. So I started writing them down with my sister who is an amazing writer. She has nothing to do with filmmaking. She's actually a lawyer. Uh, she's a crown attorney and she is criminal. She deals with like the criminal side of things. So we have worked together on writing for many, many years. And we ended up writing so many different stories that we, that were very personal to us, just like a bloody mess, um, which was based on periods where we challenged the taboos surrounding menstruation. We, encourage everyone through the film like even the last shot is a bloody pad right it, it makes you our films make you feel uncomfortable when you watch it because we show reality and that's what we've always wanted to do it and it was great because we did start a conversation on menstruation right after that right we were able to talk to families through live radio stations people were calling us and um, getting advice on how can we talk about menstruation with our little with our 80 year old, right? So um, it it was great that we made that film because it won many awards, which is always great <laughs> for as a filmmaker. But the reason why we started from Flyaway Films was to make sure that we tell stories that um, for us, it's very important to tell stories that affect women, uh, that affect minorities. Uh, anything about uh, social issues, environmental issues. That's something we always like to highlight. And um, after a bloody mess, we came up with the idea for Rock the Cradle, which explores uh, PPD. The journey of Rock the Cradle was very different than any other films. We had never planned on this. It just came. Uh, my sister had given birth recently and she wrote, a, uh, she always writes journals. So she wrote a journal and it was almost like a monologue. And she sent it to Daisy, who's one of our core producers at Flyaway Films. And Daisy had also given birth at the same time. And she shared it. And Daisy and Armin were like, Assisi have, uh, they were like, Assisi have to read this. And I read it and I was in tears. I'm like, I can relate to this. We all can relate to this. Women who've given birth, um, whether they've gone through baby blues or postpartum de uh, depression or anxiety, we all relate to this because no one talks about it. Uh, you know, I've had women experience like, through the focus groups that we held before we finalized the script. We realized so many women had no idea what they were going through. I went through PPD myself and I had no idea I was going through it until like four years later. I'm like, oh, that's what it was. And I'm like, why was I doing this? Right. So it's it's um, it's something that no one talks about. And which is why we really wanted to highlight some of the issues that women face after they give birth and sometimes during pregnancy as well. So Rock the Cradle is very close to our hearts because even on set, we had so many after like the last day when we had the wrap up speech and we were thanking everyone. <laughs> a lot of us were in tears because we all related to it so much. The crew was like, even after like a 13 hour shift, everyone was hanging around and just talking about PPD and how it has affected them. And someone who I know I've known for like over 20 years, he opened up and said, you know, my mom was suicidal when she had me. And I had no idea about this. So if it wasn't for that film, we like even one of our, I, I don't want to say names, but I'm not sure 
if they're comfortable with it. So I'll just say another crew member, she came up and she had lost her baby a year ago. And it was very close to that time. So she went through the same journey as well. And another crew member came up and said, he, his um, sister-in-law went through very similar things and is going through very similar things. And now he understands what it is. Um, and then there was another, like we had so many, and even our like lead actor had gone through PPD, right? So she knew exactly what Buddy's world was like, our main characters. And she, she, she was so vulnerable on set. She gave it her all. And if it wasn't for her um, to really explore Perry's world, I don't think the film would have done justice. Um, and it's it's something I'm very emotional about this film, so I, I'm like trying to hold back on things right now. But yes, yeah, so um, our goal with this film as well, like we are exploring another um, issue that women deal with that we don't talk about. So our goal with this film is to start conversation on PPD. Uh, hopefully it'll end up at film festivals where we can do panels with professionals in the industry, maybe have a community event after community screening where uh, women who are about to give birth or are pregnant or are thinking about it, um, they find out what PPD is, uh, they, what baby blues are, what is um, postpartum anxiety, postpartum psychosis. There's so much that happens. And if they're, if they're educated before they even give birth on something like this, it'll make their journey a little easier to understand. I think it's so important. And I think you're touching at, you know, why, why filmmaking matters and why filmmaking ultimately is important is to start these conversations and tell stories that you know, you wouldn't otherwise know about from people that you maybe don't have the opportunity to connect with or, you know, to feel not so alone, whatever you're going through. So I think that that's really amazing. So if I can take it back to the origins of Rock the Cradle. So your sister starts off with this, I guess, a, a first draft of a script. And then, and then where does it go from there? Do you work with her on rewriting it? And then, you know, what was the, what was the, process like of finding funding for it and kind of getting getting the momentum into production so for rock the cradle um when she wrote that journal and she shared it it wasn't we weren't even thinking of bringing it to life actually it was just something we were sharing as mothers um and when I read it I'm like we really need to show this and it was a monologue at the time and we kept working and working through drafts and we had at least uh, over like 25 drafts until we were finally satisfied because it's such a complex um, issue. You can't just show it in like a day in a person's life. There's so many things that lead to it. So Rock the Cradle is very different from other short films because it's it spans over two years from pregnancy until the child is much older, 18 months. So and that was would would have been the only way to justify Perry's um, PPD and show everyone what the journey looks like. Once we started writing, we we have a core team here of, of at Flyway Films with five women. So me, Schwint, Daisy, Armin, and Amreen, all five of us always work on scripts together. Uh, we, we always have a writer's room, no matter whose project it is, we help each other out. So everyone gave us their inputs. We 
then decided uh, to have focus groups. And uh, we talked to other women who've given birth, women who gave birth maybe 20 years ago, maybe two years ago. So we wanted to get an idea of everyone's um, experiences. And then we talked to so many women and the kind of stories that came out, we were shocked at how similar it was for every woman. And it wasn't just South Asian women we talked to. We talked to so many different women from different uh, cultures and backgrounds. And we realized that the more we talked to everyone, the more we felt it was important to do this story now. At the time, I was working on Slam Dunk Sahaj, which we're filming in a couple of weeks. And I... Um, we we stopped all of our, our, our other projects and said, you know what, let's do this first. This needs to be done right now. Especially at the time, what happened was when we were writing it in California, it was in the news at the time, in California, uh, a South Asian woman uh, died by suicide uh, because of postpartum depression. And when we read her story, it really like gave us goosebumps. We're like, okay, we really need to put this out now. Um, and we uh, put a package together. We sent it to Canada Council for the Arts and it got funded. So we were very excited. And, you know, when you have that funding, you're able to do so much more and explore more as a filmmaker. So we decided we are going to show not just her, the reality of what's happening around her, but also her inner thoughts, the black, um, the blackness, the darkness in her head. So we have a lot of intercutting between her headspace and her reality. Uh, so it's, it's very different. It's not something that's been done before because usually when you cut to it's always like an alter reality that you show, but we decided not to do that because that's not how PPD works. We wanted to stay very true to PPD, it, true to making sure that we portray it the way it's supposed to be, rather than just like doing it from, hey, I, ex I know what I went through, we know what you went through, and we're going to do this. No, we actually got advice from uh, a doctor we know we uh, read a lot of articles we do our research and then we write that's always uh, how the process works for us and then we filmed it we went through post uh, we had an amazing crew who just came together to get this project to life and now I'm submitting it to film festivals <laughs> that's so exciting congratulations Thank so you. what does now this process look like when you're putting together a package for film festivals? What needs to be in it? What do you think is going to help your project stand out? The, this is okay. I have to say, I always, I'm always so nervous once I finish the film. It's weird, right? I'm nervous when we started. I'm nervous on the day. I'm nervous like after we're done. Now it's done. I'm still nervous because now I'm sending it out. I'm like, oh my God, it never ends. So <laughs> what we are doing, we have a poster that we just released. And it's beautiful. I love it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's actually from one of the scenes in the film. Uh, okay. I'll put it on my Instagram so that everyone can see it, but it's, it's really beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. They're in a bathtub. I'm not going to say more because then you'll know <laughs> what's happening. Um, and then we have a motion poster that we're releasing uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the poster is the reality, the, re the reality scene. The motion poster is going to be um, her internal struggle that we 
portrayed through the motion poster, then we are going to release the, uh, the trailer in, um, in less than a month. Uh, so every week we have like a strategy of what we're releasing. And then we have a BTS and then we have a lot of film stills. So it's like we've made this release strategy before film festivals. We're hoping to start premiering in September. Let's see how it goes. Just in time for TIFF, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've submitted to TIFF. Let's see how it goes. I mean, they only get like over a thousand submissions. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, we've submitted to a few film festivals in October, November, and December. So keeping our fingers crossed for that journey. And so what we've done is we've planned out until September how we're going to build up to the release. So we have a lot of BTS. We have um, cast and crew that we want to promote through our posts. We want to promote everyone who came out and helped us. And then we always at Flyway Films, if you go to our account, we always have like a did you know kind of uh, graphic that we post every three to four days. And it always speaks about the film that we're working on. So for example, when we did a bloody mess, it was always about periods, menstruation, and now we're doing Rock the Cradle. So it's always going to be on PPD, pregnancy, uh, postpartum, all of that. And if you want, you're looking for help, where to go for it. We're also going to partner up with um, organizations who help women uh, deal with PPD, baby blues, and we're going to see how we can um, partner and help other women in the community as well. So we have those, we have a media kit, we have the trailer, uh, we are now reaching out to um, a few television stations to promote the film, to talk about PPD. And I think one of the biggest things that helps in promotions is if you have something to talk about, not just your film. Uh, I mean, yes, we would love to talk about our films all day long, we're filmmakers at the end of the day. <laughs> But um, talking about something that your film deals with, for example, talking about menstruation, uh, talking about postpartum depression, sharing your experiences, sharing um, experiences of other women that you know who've been through it. And I think that's where the conversation starts. And that's how you realize, realize how important it is to show that film somewhere. Um, and you want to make sure you have the right audience as well, right? You don't want to show something about PPD uh, where the audience is more of like a horror thriller audience. <laughs> it's just, it just doesn't go. Even though our film has like very dark elements, um, some people might say it's a horror film, but it, it is not a horror film. It's more of a dark drama. That's really interesting. And I think it's a great strategy because I think it can be really intimidating. You think that the hard part is actually getting something made then it comes again, there's a whole other challenge with then getting people to see it. So in terms of, you know, this movie, uh, what do you think has been the biggest obstacle that you faced in either getting it made or something, you know, you encountered on set or something like that? The biggest obstacle. Okay, so Rock the Cradle was full of obstacles and nothing else. <laughs> it's because um, it is such a dark film. Uh, I remember when we were writing, because when you've been through something so dark in your life, you, you, you know, I went through a very rough postpartum and during my first pregnancy and everything would just like come back. And it was really affecting me uh, and my mental health. It was affecting all of us because all of us experienced it in um, some kind of shape and form. And we were very 
there were times when I was like, okay, I need to stop. I need to stop and get away from this. And, but I didn't have enough time to stop and get away from it because we were going to film it soon. So it's something I had to keep dealing with it. And I always edit my own projects. And this was the first time I was, I realized after when I went into post-production that I should have just let someone else edit this because it was so hard for me to edit this and head into post-production with it because every time I would edit a scene, it would take me back. And I'm like, oh my God, what have, what have I done to myself? <laughs> and then there were also times where on set, we had so many issues. It was uh, <laughs> the house we were using, there's a scene where the, the tub overflows and water comes everywhere. So we had no idea that one of the tiles, the the grout was like had a little hole so <laughs> all the water dripped down and down onto the living room onto the other floor and we were like oh my god we had to stop shooting right away and then a couple of the scenes were so hard for our lead actor that we had to just stop I knew at the time she was she was giving up even though she didn't want to um, because it was it was very hard for her. I have no idea how she made this happen, how she brought Prairie to life. It was just, I think just the topic itself was such a hard topic to deal with. And we only had two days of production. We had about, I think uh, over 10 setups in both days, which was crazy. And our crew was going crazy, but everyone was so uh, determined to get this done. Uh, that we just didn't care about ourselves. We just cared about the film and we just keep kept going. Oh, another thing that happened day one. Day one of the shoot, early in the morning, we're supposed to be at the studio that we rented. I'm not going to say the name. <laughs> the studio we rented, we were there and the studio is not open. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> so I don't know what happened. There was a miscommunication on their end and someone was supposed to come in early to open so that we can go in and start filming. And we waited around 45 minutes outside in their parking lot, hoping that the studio will open anytime now. <laughs> as soon as it opened, we just like ran in. We had no time to even set up crafts because According to schedule, we were only supposed to be there for two hours and then go to location two, which was an hour long drive from there. <laughs> oh my goodness. So we're like rushing through all the black room scenes that we had and all the dark scenes that we had because it, the, uh, the uh, inner headspace that we were exploring were all supposed to be shot there. And usually when you schedule the harder scenes, they're usually at the end of the day or the next day, not the first thing in the morning. But um, we went through the schedule with our lead actor, um, Gaudi, and she preferred that we did the hardest scenes first uh, to get over it. And so we did that. And my God, within an hour, we were all like crying and we're like holding back tears. We're like, OK, this is so scary. This is so heartbreaking and I think that our long drive really helped us come back into our normal selves so I'm glad we had that or else it would have been a struggle to go move on and onto the other scenes um, and then we had a party scene which we were filming in the basement we were supposed and then it's COVID right so at the time and we had so many COVID protocols we had to follow and we have a party scene uh, where we have so many extras 
So we're like, how are we gonna do this in this tight space? <laughs> so, but somehow it happened, it worked out. Uh, but yeah, there were so many challenges. I think the biggest challenge of course was just dealing with the subject we were dealing with and making sure we still keep going uh, regardless of how difficult it is to bring this to life. Definitely. The story of resilience, for sure. <laughs> um, so then do you have some tips? I mean, you've gone through the process a number of times now for people with smaller budgets who are starting off, you know, how can you, you know, not compromise your creative vision, uh, but, you know, be cognizant of budget and, uh, you know, practical restrictions? With Rock the Cradle, we had a good budget and we were able to make it happen. But with Slam Dunk Sahaj, it's a proof of concept. We don't have a huge budget. It's very tiny. So what we're doing is we re, we went through the script again. We got rid of a lot of extras. I, I love having like extras and like 30 people in that one shot because I'm crazy. And uh, <laughs> I mean, with my feature, I'm going to probably have over 200 people in that same shot. But <laughs> so I rewrote those scenes with my sister and uh, we got rid of some of the extras and we thought of creative ways to shoot it. So instead of a medium wide, we're now on like a medium close up. So we changed choreography a little bit for the basketball scenes so that uh, we don't need to show as many extras in the background for tryouts. So I think being creative with your shots can really help. Uh, in terms of location, try to get a location which can accommodate multiple setups. Or when you're writing, it would be great to have just one setup for Slam Dunk Sehaj, for example, <laughs> because I know I'm on a smaller budget. I made sure my scenes are all in like one room and the outdoor scene is like the driveway where they're playing basketball. And then day two is all at the basketball court. So we, we just want to make sure when you're writing, start thinking, especially if you know you're going to have a smaller budget, even though they always say, hey, writers, go explore anything, write about anything and everything, right? But I would highly suggest that if you know you don't have a budget and you're producing this yourself, think about it in the writing, uh, <laughs> writing stage, because that will make your life much easier. Oh, definitely. I think it's really good advice. So I'm curious, you know, at what point you're working at, at Omni, did you think, okay, it's actually time to incorporate my own company and just go for it on my own? You know, like, where did you find that confidence? So I had been working at a job for a very long time and I said to myself, I'm not able to do what I want to do, which is make films. So I decided to leave that really well-paying job to do something that I love to do, where I would be putting money from my own pocket, possibly, <laughs> uh, and not making money. So, um, but it was the best decision I made because at the time I had nothing to do. And I'm like, um, now I know that I have to survive off of this. So this is what I have to do to get there. And I think the decision um, was made because I really had so many stories to tell uh, and most of them are very personal to me and no one else wanted to really help push those stories along and no one would be interested in it. I even would like a bloody mess, for example, I had programmers from really well-known festivals email me saying, we really loved your film. It was one of our jury's favorite, but because of the topic and the 
uh, you know, you're making the audience feel uncomfortable, it might not be a good match for our festival. So imagine like, you know, getting, and I, I can't name, I can't put names out, but this was like a very good film festival that emailed me and I'm like, okay, but so now I know that it's not the film, it's what I'm showing in the film, which is making people uncomfortable. And I know with Rock the Cradle, I'm going to face the same thing. Um, and no other production company would be wanting to make films which make the audience feel uncomfortable, which might not have a great festival run because of the content they're showing. But I highly feel that if we can show violence, we can show blood and gore, we can show everything that possibly doesn't exist. I am sure that one day there will be a film festival who will say, you know what? We need to show reality as well because filmmaking is not just for entertainment. It's also for education. So if you can educate and entertain at the same time, there's nothing like it. So I feel um, that, at, that that was a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm not getting anywhere with my own stories. I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to make it happen. And to starting out like flyaway films, I just took like any odd jobs that would come, whether it be editing a trailer, editing this, or uh, doing graphics, or doing VFX for this film, or VFX for a corporation. So everything, like all of those little odd jobs here and there helped me get to where I am. I am curious, you know, if you feel like some of that feedback is because the stories are so female centric, like that there's, if, like, cause I think that there is such a taboo around, you know, like menstruation and periods that like, if we were going to do a film about an equivalent men's issue, I don't know if you would be getting the same feedback. And so maybe I don't want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you feel that there's a, a little bit of sexism in that in that feedback honestly i am never ashamed of saying anything that i believe in so i will say this yes it is because one of the programmers who emailed me was a woman and uh, she clearly said i've been really pushing for your film but there are other programmers who don't want this at our festival and then i googled who are the other programmers and she was the only woman <laughs> And they're all men. So I'm like, okay, they don't want to see periods. They don't want to see a bloody pad because <laughs> it makes them uncomfortable. So, but then you have men who support you, right? I have, for example, Sarbjeet Singarola, who uh, owns Think Brown Media. He has supported me for the last 20 years of my career, uh, even with Rock the Cradle, even with uh, Slam Dunk Sehej. So it's not everyone. I can't just say that, yes, it's all men. But then there are men who really believe in your stories and say, hey, I will help you with whatever you need help with. I, for example, tomorrow night uh, for Slam Dunk Sehej, I'm recording a, a rap song with an artist at his studio and he's not charging me for it. So, you know, like there are people who just come out and help you because they really believe in you, your projects, your vision, and they want to support you as a filmmaker. And they want to support your stories because they also feel that there's a need for these stories. Yeah, certainly. And I and I wonder if you're actually going to, I mean, my prediction for you is that you'll face much less adversity with Rock the Cradle because I think that it'll be an issue that, that more men hopefully will be able to empathize with and understand because, you know, they're part of the birthing process 
um, and they're part of their wife's journey or their, you know, partner's journey through, through it. And maybe we'll have a little bit more, um, empathy. I hope, <laughs> I hope. I really hope so too. But from the feedback I got from one person, um, and he's a very well-known person in the industry. He said, I really love your film because I sent it to him um, for feedback on my last cut. And he said, I just love this film. It needs to be shown, but I was so uncomfortable watching it. Uh, it's, it's, a very, it's a very difficult film to watch, but I don't know if film festivals will, will accept something like this because they don't want their audience to come to the theater to experience something like this. Mm. So, well... Let's see. <laughs> My fingers are crossed for you because I, I definitely agree with you. I think that the best kind of entertainment is also educational. And I think that the best kind of films sometimes make you feel really uncomfortable because you're having to sit with a reality that you're not in or you are in it. And then it's, you know, probably less uncomfortable and more comforting, weirdly, um, because you feel not so alone. But um, I, I think it's so interesting because I mean, when you're in when you're in film school, this is like the the penultimate goal. You know, this is like where everyone wants to get to. That if you're making people feel uncomfortable, then you've made an amazing film. You know, because the audience is sitting there, you know, having some visceral reaction. Like that's the goal as a filmmaker, surely. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I mean, that's what we always say in film school too, but the reality is like, you never know what's going to happen, how people are going to perceive your film. So to change subjects a little bit, um, I want to ask you about the moment so far in your career that you felt the most proud of. Oh, so many. <laughs> a one, one moment for sure was when I had the idea for Darshan De Jiva, the doc series, 16 episodes, I actually faced rejection the first time I had pitched it. And, um, but I was, I came home, my dad's like, it's okay, even it got rejected, you can still film it, you can get a camera, you can film it yourself. I'm like, dad, are you crazy? Because I was like, uh, probably like 19 or 20 at the time. And uh, I'm like, how am I going to travel to India, buy a camera? I can't afford it. <laughs> and film, like, go all over India and film all these Sikh shrines, historical Sikh shrines. He's like, oh, maybe we can all go together. So we made it into a family trip. We, <laughs> I, I bought a camera on lease. Um, it was the Sony Z1U. It was for, like, around $9,000 at the time. And I got it, uh, not lease, sorry, it was... Yes, it was a lease to own kind of a thing. And I, um, so I did monthly payments, which made it easier for me to own the camera after a few years. <laughs> so I got some equipment, I bought some um, audio gear, and then we left. Uh, we flew to India, we booked um, a, a, a van, and uh, the four of us just took that van and we went all over India, went to over, I think, over 83 Sikh shrines, historical Sikh shrines, including the one which is, uh, it's like, uh, it's close to the Himalayas. And you have to like do, it, it takes, there's one Sikh shrine called the Hemkund Sahib. And you have to, it's like a two day travel. It takes you two days to get there to the top and you have to walk. Uh, you can only take your car like to a certain point. So you have to keep walking after that. Uh, they have um, 
they have donkeys you can ride on. So for some of the journey, I did ride a donkey because I was like trying to film everything and I was like so exhausted. But when we came back, at the time, I thought that, you know, I might not be able to pull off so much. And I brought back the footage and showed it to them again. And I pitched it again. And they're like, oh, this is great. Can you make 16 episodes? I'm like, yes, I can. <laughs> so I ended up getting funding, um, even though it was a little later on in the process. So I was very proud that I have a family who's always supportive of what I want to do especially my sister my my dad my god you like in slam dunk Sehej, I couldn't find someone to play in that age range he's like I can try I'm like okay you want to audition so he's he's actually playing the father's role <laughs> so like my parents have been so supportive my sister my family my husband my kids who always have to stay with my parents so that I can go out to film and stuff so um, if it wasn't for them, I don't think I'd be able to achieve it, like even like 10% of what I have right now. That's amazing. There's nothing like a boots on the ground story is there where you're, you're the one filming, you're the one there, it's all you. There's, there's no sense of accomplishment quite like it is there. Yeah, I think the not giving up factor really makes me think that I'm so glad mm -hmm. I didn't give up and I just went for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have to ask you to recommend one piece of Canadian content that you love. Oh, there's so much, so much. Um, where do I start? <laughs> okay. I really liked, so I, I will go to independent filmmaking. Um, I wanted, because there's so much to recommend. So I'll start from very something that I really loved the 410 series. Uh, which was on CBC Gems. I really love, love, um, I love working moms as well. I know it's a little, it's not really an indie budget, but still, <laughs> I love that. I love, um, oh my God, I, there's so many, I don't know which ones to not say, <laughs> but I have to say, um, there's so many Canadian shorts that are so worth of, because I specialize in shorts, so I want to throw this out, Canadian shorts that have not made it big, which really deserve screen time. And I think that's who I will always stand up for. Like, here, these are local filmmakers. They've made such great content, you know, watch it. Yes, absolutely. And it's really cool that CBC Gem has this program and you know facility to watch so many gems. I think it's really cool and um, it's, not, not enough people know about it. Not enough people, you know, can go seek out that content because they don't know it's there, you know, but it is there. It's great that CC does that. So yeah, shout it from the rooftops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I love beans as well. <laughs> That's a good recommendation. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on. I really enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you. And I'm so excited to watch Rock the Cradle. Oh, thank you so much, Olivia. Thank you. Thank you for having me.